in over 100 countries in seven different languages to more than a half billion viewers each week. The World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Canada's own Heart Foundation! Last week, the Heart Foundation was fueled by a near maniacal and frenzied Canadian crowd. The Heart Foundation is the best, uh, are the best wrestlers anywhere in the world. And we can really look up to them. I feel great pride just to be a Canadian. Canada, the best there is, the best there was, and, and the, the best, best there ever will be. Woo! The Heart Foundation was on an adrenaline rush as they impatiently waited to find out who their opponents would be in a country versus country flag match. I made a challenge last week. And not one single American wrestlers come forward to accept the challenge, which proves to me that they're full of crap. However, just as the words fell from the lips of the hitman, the shattering of glass told him who his first nemesis would be. I'll be a part of your stupid little flag match, and that's the bottom line. Then, in dramatic fashion, the next challenger would explode onto the scene. Who's gonna be number two? The Hunt Rick Kid. But wait, there was more. The Undertaker and Brett the Hitman Hunt for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And I will be the special referee. In a rage of anger, Brett immediately went straight for the man he felt was responsible for this deliberate decision of injustice, Vince McMahon. But the hitman wasn't done. After brutalizing the Patriot, Brett's aggressions turned savage once more. At least Bret Hart, and maybe the Hart Foundation, but Bret Hart was seen coming out of Shawn Michaels' locker room just moments ago, and that Shawn Michaels apparently has been injured. Now with fury filling his eyes, Brett turned to the battlefield where his country's honor was on the line. As was expected, Stone Cold was joined in the fray by his partner, Dude Love. But even the hearts couldn't have expected the chilling appearance of the awesome Phenom, The Undertaker. The Undertaker has joined Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dude Love. The battle then erupted into all-out Armageddon. Toe slam! Lower toe In the end, when the loose cannon fired, the Canadians were named the victors. Blanketing themselves and their fellow countrymen, the Hart Foundation then waved the banner of the Maple Leaf high above the World Wrestling Federation.
Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. This time, Retro Wrestling Podcast Extra, as Patrick will not be joining me this week. We will resume next week with SummerSlam 1992. But I did want to post something for all of our fans that listen to us week to week. I'm sorry I haven't been getting the episodes out on time, but there's just been a lot of uh, stuff going on in both my life and in Patrick's life. So we haven't been able to get together and get things out on schedule, but I apologize and hopefully in the future we'll be able to provide you with a podcast at the same time each and every week, but this is the best I can do for this week. Next week we'll be back to normal and hopefully have a podcast out on either Thursday or Friday. This is the weekend of SummerSlam taking place at the Scotiabank Arena. But before we get to the SummerSlam 2019 card, just wanted to talk about a couple of news items that were big this week. Number one being the passing of Harley Race. I'll include the tribute video that the WWE put up. This past week, the world of sports entertainment lost a legend. Introducing from Kansas City, Missouri, Harley Race. Harley Race's career was one decorated in championship gold as he held the NWA World Heavyweight Championship an astonishing eight times. Anybody that faced Harley Race when he was the world champion, you knew that you were in for a real fight. Harley was a workhorse. He was very proud of that championship. You're walking in against a man that has survived every obstacle that's ever been thrown in front of me. Harley engaged in epic title versus title clashes with WWE champions superstar Billy Graham and Bob Backlund. Right here, Daddy, is the Mohammed Ali of it all. But is perhaps best remembered for his epic rivalry with the nature boy Ric Flair. The single toughest most intense wrestler I've ever been in the ring with in my entire life. Harley would join the WWE in 1986 and go on to win King of the Ring, after which he would nobly refer to himself as King Harley Race. I crown you the King Handsome Harley Race. I've listened to Hall of Famers tell story after story about the toughness and the skill that Harley Race possessed. That's what makes him one of the greatest superstars of all time. After an illustrious 25-year in-ring career, Harley retired from competition in 1990 and began managing for WCW's Lex Luger and Vader, leading them both to WCW World Championships. And in 2004, Harley Race would take his rightful place in the WWE Hall of Fame. I've been an extremely blessed human being. God gave me the talent to work in this business. There's not a better spot on earth than under those bright lights. Harley Race, one of the baddest dudes to ever step in a ring, a legitimate tough guy, and a guy that every single buddy in the whole business had nothing but high regard and total respect for. Harley Race passed away this past week at the age of 76. We at WWE send our deepest sympathies to his family and loved ones. Harley Race will forever be remembered by his WWE family as a friend, a mentor, and a champion. Of course, Harley being a multiple-time NWA champion, a legend in the business. My personal uh, thoughts on Harley Race, and Patrick will probably expand upon this more on next week's episode, but my own personal experience with watching Harley Race matches is I only knew the WWF version of Harley Race, which was King Harley Race. Now, King Harley Race was not a 
pushed character. He looked out of place in the cartoonish world of 80s and early 90s WWF. I just wasn't ever really a fan of his work in the WWF. I respect the legacy he provided through his work in the NWA and the heel promos that he did that multiple wrestlers have copied and improved upon since then. So yes, Harley Race, a legend in the business, passing away this week. We'll talk about it more next week right here on the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And the other big news item that came out of the week was the rumor that the WWE is interested in buying Fight TV, F-I-T-E TV. And it's a smart move on their part to want to purchase that streaming service. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining that, oh, what a dirty move. It's going to really hurt the industry. There will be another streaming provider for the industry. There are plenty of streaming providers out there that would love to cater to that service. So even if Fight TV folds, independent wrestling and smaller wrestling companies in general will still have a home. It'll just be somewhere else. Now, it's a temporary setback for those promotions, but I don't think it's the end of the line. It's just smart business on the part of the WWE. So SummerSlam 2019 predictions. Here is the card so far. And I'm recording this on Saturday, so this is pretty much set in stone. Drew Gulak will take on Oni Lorcan for the Cruiserweight Championship. I predict Drew Gulak will retain. I don't watch 205 Live, but I feel like he is the more pushed character at the moment, just based on what I read. So I'm going to say that Drew Gulak retains. Then we have Trish Stratus making her return in Toronto to take on Charlotte Flair. This is a match that Charlotte Flair needs to win should win, and will win. That's why Charlotte Flair will defeat Trish to continue her prominence over the women's division despite not having a title. She is their premier performer. She is, just as Roman Reigns is, the most promoted wrestler despite not having a title. The uncrowned champion, if you will, Charlotte Flair. So I expect her to win that match easily. Then we have Dolph Ziggler taking on Bill Goldberg, who is defending Shawn Michaels' honor for some reason, as Dolph Ziggler attacked Shawn Michaels, attacked Goldberg multiple weeks on the microphone, and was finally served his comeuppance on last week's Monday Night Raw. So Goldberg should win this easily. This should be a two-minute match. This should just be an easy win for Goldberg and a way to incorporate him back onto the show Dolph Ziggler is going nowhere. He is pretty much resigned to being a loser. So if Dolph were to win this, I would be very, very surprised. Then we have AJ Styles and Ricochet for the WWE United States Championship. AJ Styles should retain. I expect a DQ here with help from the club who are not booked on the show. In fact, no tag team matches are booked for this show. So the club has nothing to do. I expect a run in here and this feud will continue. Finn Balor is taking on Bray Wyatt in his new character, The Fiend. And I think this is the most easy match to predict of the night is that The Fiend will defeat Finn Balor, who has already been rumored to be taking a hiatus. And this is a good way to write him off television. So The Fiend should win easily. It's just a question of, does the Mandible Claw make Finn Balor pass out? Or does he get a pinfall win out of this? I'm not sure, but this match should take another two or three minutes. 
Kevin Owens taking on Shane McMahon, where if Kevin Owens loses, he will quit the WWE. Well, I think that pretty much telegraphs the end of this match, where Kevin Owens will be triumphant. And I wish it was the other way around, where Shane would be written off TV. It's not, so I think Kevin Owens gets the win here. We get Bailey versus Ember Moon for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This match, very heatless, not a lot of build going into it. Two faces going against one another. Although Ember Moon needs the win, I expect Bailey to retain her SmackDown Women's Championship. On the Raw Women's Championship side, we have Becky Lynch taking on Natalia in her home country in a submission match. While I think this will be an excellent match, I do expect Becky Lynch to retain. Natalia will have a nice showing, but Natalia, another superstar, not pushed, and defeating Becky Lynch is not the way to get her over. Another face-versus-face matchup, and I expect Becky Lynch to retain. In the two men's title matches, we have Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman taking on Seth Rollins. Again, I expect Brock Lesnar to retain Seth Rollins. Not looking so hot lately on television. Uh, the feud with Baron Corbin really killed his momentum and turned him into a bit of a geek. This match could go either way, but I expect Brock to retain and continue this storyline onto Survivor Series. And finally, we have the most difficult match, in my opinion, to predict, and that is Kofi Kingston, the WWE champion, taking on Randy Orton. Now, as much as I love Kofi Kingston and I think he's been a great champion, a fighting champion, I do believe that he is a better chaser than a champion. And there's no better person for him to chase than Randy Orton, his arch nemesis dating back for the last 10 years. This has been the most well-built story on the show, including the clips of Randy Orton calling Kofi Kingston stupid after he botched a move, and the feud between them in 2009 when you thought that Kofi Kingston was going to move up the card. And unfortunately, I think this is the time where you take the belt off of Kofi Kingston. He gets a slight change in character, makes him a more serious wrestler instead of the goofball that stuffs pancakes down his pants. And Randy Orton will win yet another WWE title, getting him closer to the Ric Flair record. So eventually down the road, we may have Triple H, Randy Orton, and John Cena all wrestling for the 17th title reign. I know that Triple H and Randy are a couple of title wins away from that, but it's not out of the question. So that is my prediction for SummerSlam. I hope you enjoy SummerSlam from Toronto, and I hope you enjoyed NXT TakeOver from last night. Regardless of the outcome, I think both shows have a ton of potential to over-deliver, and that is always a good thing. For this week's Retro Wrestling Podcast Extra Review, I decided to review the Raw from July 18th, 1997, the Go Home Show, into SummerSlam, Heart and Soul, Bret Hitman Hart taking on The Undertaker for the WWF title. The show opens with a recap from Raw from the week prior, where they were in Canada, and Canada loves the Hart Foundation. They love them, despite the fact that the Hart Foundation features Brian Pillman and British Bulldog, to non-Canadians, but whatever. Shawn Michaels also announced last week he'd be the special ref in the WWF title match, which caused Bret Hart to attack Vince McMahon and the Patriot, Del Wilkes, because he represents us Americans. Shawn was also attacked, so he couldn't take part in the flag match, the main event of last week's main event, so it was four-on-three Hart Foundation taking on 
Stone Cold Steve Austin, Dude Love, and Undertaker. Pillman interfered in the match and kept Americans from winning. So Canada was victorious in Canada. We get to classic Raw's War, Thorn in My Eye open. And then we're out to Pittsburgh, PA in the igloo with Vince on commentary alongside JR and King. The Hart Foundation is out first to a mixed reaction. They actually got cheers from this Pittsburgh crowd. They get interviewed by JR in his Raw is War varsity jacket, which I always loved. There was a hearing this morning about Brett's attack last week, but the company needs the match to happen on Sunday, so it's fine that Brett beat everyone's ass last week. But Gorilla Monsoon, who was the WWF president at the time, would announce a new commissioner next week, so his fate will be in his hands going forward. Brett says the kangaroo court this morning just shows how screwed up the system is in the U.S. Just ask O.J. Simpson. A two-year dated reference at this point. Brett says they'll do anything to screw the hitman. In Canada, though, we stick to our words. He says even though everything is stacked against him, he hasn't lost hope. He says if Sean doesn't call it fair and square, Brett will still get screwed, and Sean gets to go home and try to find his smile. Crowd starts chanting for Stone Cold Steve Austin for some reason, despite this promo having nothing to do with him. He says to Sean, you better apologize to Canada for your own health and welfare. And he says, if you gave the United States an enema, the hose would go right here into Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. First of all, I just want to say that that little chit chat I had with Mark Messier opened up his eyes. As for the little kangaroo court, Justice in America. All you have to do is look at O.J. Simpson, and you know there's no such thing as justice in America. One thing I've learned is that Americans will do absolutely anything to screw you. When I said that if I didn't win the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt in the SummerSlam against The Undertaker, that I would never, ever set foot in American soil again. I didn't mean it in a literal sense. I just meant it as a figure of speech. And this goes to show you that they'll do absolutely anything to paint you in a corner, to stack the deck against you. But see, the big difference is, in Canada, we stick to our word. And my word's as good as the gold that The Undertaker wears around his waist. Even though everything's stacked against me, You know, fear and hope are the same underneath. And I know everyone thinks that I got everything to be afraid of, but I haven't lost hope. And next week in the SummerSlam, USA, USA where it's all stacked up. I'm just gonna say next week in the SummerSlam, despite the fact that you got Let me ask you, Shawn Michaels, 
sure happy about that. It's all fixed up nice for everybody. Shawn Michaels, and just supposing that Shawn Michaels doesn't call this one fair. What happens then? I still get screwed, and he sits home for another 10 years looking for his smile. I'm just gonna say this. Next week, in the SummerSlam, whether you Americans like it or not, I will be a fifth-time World Wrestling Federation Champion. I'm gonna address something else. Shawn Michaels. After all the crap he said about Canadians last week, you know, it's bad enough what he says about me. And it's bad enough what he says about my family and the Hart Foundation. But you better apologize to the Canadian fans for the trash that came out of your mouth. And you better do it for your own health and welfare. Last week, I said the United States of America was one big, giant toilet bowl. If you were gonna give the United States of America an enema, you'd stick the holes right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know why? Because you're the pits. Last week, the Patriot decided to stick his nose in my business. Now, here's this guy, walks into the World Wrestling Federation, the new kid on the block, and starts preaching to me about American values. Patriot. yourself with the wrong people. Here you are, you, you come out on stage in San Antonio, Texas. You got Shawn Michaels on one hand. You got Stone Cold Steve Austin on the other. To me, you're setting the wrong example. That's like Bill Clinton walking out with the, the Unabomber and Richard Simmons. It just doesn't, it doesn't ring right to me. So tonight, in front of all you American fans, I'm gonna set one more example. And the, and the Patriot, you're gonna just be one more name that I'm gonna add on to a list of Americans that I'm gonna flush down the toilet. You're making a challenge to the Patriot? I'm making a challenge to the Patriot. I'm gonna flush him down the toilet right here tonight on Raw. And Undertaker, you're the next one on my list. And by hook or by crook, I will be fifth-time World Wrestling Federation champion, and I promise to bring the championship belt back to Canada where it belongs. He then calls out the Patriot, but the crowd is chanting something, and Hart 
and his Hart Foundation get completely distracted. He said he's going to flush the Patriot down the toilet tonight. And then on Sunday, Undertaker is next. I thought this was a very good promo from Bret Hart. Bret Hart's 1997 promos were great because, well, we all know that Bret Hart is sort of a... Complaining is sort of his gimmick, and he made excellent work of it here in 1997. He had some good work in the early 90s, a few memorable promos, but I think most people remember Bret for his Canada versus America promos here in the Attitude Era. The commentators tease the matchups for tonight, a bunch of shitty ones, by the way. Plus, tonight, everybody, stay tuned. The debut of the Truth Commission happens. They toss to pre-tape predictions about the title match with the fans. They're about 50-50. They think Undertaker will win. They think Brett will win. Brett hates America or Canada's the best. And we got a few of these throughout the night. Our first matchup of the night features the Los Bariquas. They come out. Savio cuts a pre-tape promo against the Disciples of Apocalypse. It was uh, pretty bad. The Bariquas are taking on the Legion of Doom. And representing the Bariquas will be Miguel and Savio Vega. They air some footage from two weeks ago where the Godwins attacked the Legion of Doom. And Hawk gets slop dropped on the ramp and got busted open from the attack. Savio starts out with Hawk. Hawk hits his neckbreaker, tags in Animal. Animal takes Savio down with a shoulder block. And Miguel comes in, gets power slammed. And an elbow drop from Animal before Hawk comes back in. Hawk misses a diving headbutt, and this allows Miguel and Savio to double-team Hawk for a moment. Savio takes over, and the Brequas keep Hawk in their corner. Miguel slams Hawk when he comes into the ring and does a standing moonsault from Miguel for a near fall on Hawk. Hawk gets his comeback with a big boot to Miguel, and this allows the Legion of Doom to set up the Doomsday device, but the Brequas run in and break it up. And ding, 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 we have our first DQ of many on this edition of Raw is War. Nothing to this match, simply a match to set up a storyline. So there you go. The Godwins run in to attack LOD to further their storyline. Hawk gets slopped, not slop dropped, but actual slop dropped on his face at the end of the match while the Bariquas beat down Animal. So that is your LOD Godwins Los Bariquas feud update for this edition of Raw. Vince mentions next week Raw moves to 9 o'clock where it would stay for several years. We go backstage to Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's with China. He's due to have a steel cage match against Mankind at SummerSlam after China beat down Mankind on several occasions over the last few weeks, including low blows and just attacking him with her fists. Hunter starts his promo before Vince is done speaking, so he gets mic clipped. And he says he's just going to beat Mankind, and it's not Vader time, it's Jenny Craig time, as he's set to take on the Mastodon Vader. Hunter's out to his promenade theme with China, then Vader is out to his awesome theme song with Paul Bearer. But Mick Foley, dressed as a cameraman, decks Hunter while China was looking at Vader. China then gets the upper hand on Mankind with a spear, and then Hunter and China double team him, but China gets crotched on the buckle. And Hunter and Mankind brawl right into the crowd. So this match between Vader and Hunter never even happened. China just stands and watches, by the way, as Mankind drags Hunter through the crowd and then makes his escape. Vader just disappeared into thin air. Amazing that a man of Vader's size 
was able to just disappear with Paul Bear during all of this. Up next, a graphic appears that someone is going to get a trip to SummerSlam and a chance, a chance at $1 million with Sable's image next to it. Sable not appearing on this show. Then, the Commandant, the South African manager of the Truth Commission, cuts a promo introducing them and saying that they are going to take over the world. The Truth Commission coming out of Jerry Jarrett's Memphis promotion. Michael Moore, the IBF heavyweight champion, is in the house. He's in the front row. We get a shot of him. Wonder if he'll reappear in the night. We'll have to find out. Then we get a Brockus promo. He cuts a promo in German. Brockus, not exactly uh, destined for greatness here in the WWF, as he would flame out, be sent to ECW, but before he did, he got destroyed in the Brawl for All. So Brockus had a tough go of things in the World Wrestling Federation, but had an amazing physique. I don't think it was all natural, but bodybuilder Brockus not cut out for superstardom in the World Wrestling Federation. My name is Brockus, and I come from Deutschland. My Gewicht is 300 pounds. And when I come to America, to the World Wrestling Federation, and the nation of domination, in the ring, Flash Funk, Jesse James, and Bob Holly. What a combination. Come out for a six-man tag. They're taking on the debuting Truth Commission, Recon, Sniper, The Interrogator, which you would better know as Kurgan, Recon, of course, being Bull Buchanan, and they are led by the Commandant. They make their debut by marching out to drums. It sounded a little bit like Goldberg's theme music, but uh, not as not as good as Goldberg's. Gorilla Monsoon is now with the commentators. He says the superstars are out of control and this place needs a commissioner as he says he can't be everywhere at one time. So we get a rare Gorilla Monsoon sighting here in 1997. Recon starts against Funk. Funk scoop slams him, hits a crossbody off the top before Sniper comes in. Faces off against Road Dog, USA Chance against the Truth Commission, despite the Truth Commission not claiming any nationality. But they were in Army fatigues and berets, so uh, they're definitely foreign. That's all you need to know. Sniper hits a spinning back elbow before tagging in Kurgan, the interrogator. The commission gets the heat on Road Dog for a while. Then Bob Sparky Plug comes in, but Kurgan hits the devastating sidewalk slam. One, two, three, Sparky Plug takes the pinfall, and the Truth Commission get the win in one of the only two matches to end with a finish, uh, a pinfall finish tonight on this edition of Raw is War. The match is over to no reaction, good or bad, from the crowd, as the crowd doesn't really know what to think of this group. Adding Don Callis to the Truth Commission was a good idea, but the Truth Commission was um, going to fail. And uh, there was really no way around it. The oddities, at least, uh, gave Kurgan some sort of revitalization, if you can call it that. But the Truth Commission was heading nowhere. Gang warfare in 1997 was dominating the roster. And the roster was so thin to begin with, but you made everybody a lackey in a group. So uh, gang warfare not working out well for the WWF here in 1997 while they're getting their ass kicked by WCW. Vince has production call Ryan Chaddock from New York to see if he's going to SummerSlam 
a child answers and says, yes, he's Ryan. And yes, guess what? He's going to SummerSlam and he has the chance to win $1 million. Hilariously, they show the money as they often do. You know, they have to prove to you that they have money to pay whatever prize they're giving away, like in McMahon's millions and everything else. They always have to show money. So they show a coffin for some reason full of money and they zoom in, and I can't believe Kevin Dunn lets the camera show you that all of these dollars are $1 bills, so not $1 million in the coffin tonight. We get a Patriot promo from Del Wilkes. Last week in Nova Scotia, he got his ass kicked. He's asked if he'll accept the challenge for tonight. He accepts because it's America's duty to fight Bret Hart. The Disciples of Apocalypse are out next on their Titan bikes with no theme music. Criminal Crush is out to take on his old boss, Farouk, from the Nation of Domination. The Nation now featuring Ahmed Johnson, who returned from injury. So it's Ahmed, Farouk, D'Lo, and the Godfather. And when they stand face-to-face, it looks like the Black Panthers versus the Aryan Nation. Farouk and Crush lock up. Farouk gets caught trying something off the buckle, as uh, Ron Simmons, not known for his aerial ability, Gets power slammed by Crush. Farouk responds with a chop block. Then Kama, the fighting machine not yet called the Godfather in 1997, decks Crush from behind the ref's back. Crush gets Farouk in the electric chair and drops him. He hits a scary-looking pile driver to Farouk. I really thought he might be breaking Ron Simmons' neck here. And then he botches a big boot before the factions run in. And guess what? Another DQ finish as the DOA and Nation go at it. But then the Los Bariquas run out and attack Crush. They do a version of the Shield Powerbomb, I'm not shitting you, a shitty one, by the way, to Crush on the steel ramp. So that is how this match ends. Everyone scatters, and the night rolls on. That was the first hour of Monday Night Raw. The War Zone is next. Austin and Dude Love will defend their tag belts against the Godwins, Pig and Hog. We come back from break with more fans voicing who they'll think will win the title at SummerSlam. Then the Warzone intro plays after that, which, if you remember, the Warzone had a different intro, a slightly different version of Thorn in My Eye. They used a different uh, part of the song. But tonight, I didn't remember this, but they just replayed the Raw intro. So it was the same thing. So you got the same intro twice. The Godwins are out to generic banjo music. No, don't go messing with a country boy. And they don't have Hillbilly Jim either here in 1997. Bulldog and Owen Hart, they're doing color commentary here as Owen is the intercontinental champion and Bulldog is the European champion. And they would sit alongside the three commentators. Dude Love is out next as Bulldog calls him Dude loser. Dude loser. He just really wanted to get that over. Dude Love, by the way, didn't have his Dude Love theme song here at this point in 1997, but he does get chance for the Dudester. Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, that is, gets a massive ovation, as usual, for his entrance as he did not want to come out with his tag team champion partner. That's right. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Dude Love were tag team champions at this point in 1997. 
Owen at the sight of Austin, who would be challenging for the Intercontinental title soon, just stares blankly and has nothing to say. Austin throws one of the Godwins out of the ring. Dude Love stuns Phineas over the rope and then clotheslines him. Austin gets a tag and takes over. Henry comes in, gets a massive lariat from Austin before Dude comes back in and takes over. Owen is having a kiss-my-ass match against Austin, but he says that bum can't beat him. We'll see about that at SummerSlam 97. Dude hits the double-arm DDT to Henry, but Phineas breaks it up and saves the match. Bulldog says he'll put Shamrock in his place as he's got a match against Ken Shamrock at SummerSlam, and he's going to make Ken Shamrock eat dog food. Literally. Bulldog challenges Ken Shamrock to an arm wrestling match next. I assume Ken is watching backstage because he's not out there to accept this challenge. It just magically happened. Dude Love then Bulldogs Phineas. Then Austin tags in. We get the Thez press and punches. A slam to Henry Godwin. A slam to Phineas. Austin cleans house. We get a stunner to Phineas, but Henry knocks him out of the ring. Then Owen Dex Austin with the IC belt behind the ref's back. Austin gets counted out, and the match is over. So yet another non-finish, but advances the storylines. Austin, not happy with this result, smashes Owen before Bulldog joins in, and then the Godwins join in, and then LOD come out to save Stone Cold Steve Austin. Everyone brawls, and the Godwins just run away. Austin grabs McMahon's headset and says, Owen is getting his ass whipped, and that's the bottom line. Another phone call attempt to another potential million-dollar winner is happening soon, so stick around. Stay by your landline telephone. Tonight, the War Zone is sponsored by the Army. Join the Army and Foot Action, which I'm not sure is still in business, but I do recall going to Foot Action, the Foot Locker competitor in mall shoe shopping experiences. The light heavyweights are set for a match. Ace Sterling and Devin Storm are already in the ring when we come back from break, but Ken Shamrock distracts everybody when he brings out a table and sits near the commentators to wait for Bulldog to come out and arm wrestle him. The light heavyweights treat it a lot like they are here in 2019 as Devin Storm just rolls through a Hurricane Rana and gets the win. The only other match with a finish on this show took about 30 seconds. So there you go. There is where the light heavyweights were in WWF in 1997 when WCW had the likes of Juventud Guerrero, Rey Mysterio Jr., Eddie Guerrero, La Parca, the list goes on and on, but in WWF, this is what we were treated to in the light heavyweight division. Time for McMahon to try to get another person qualified for this million dollars and a trip to SummerSlam, and backstage, whoever dials the number, Gets it wrong. So the call can't be completed at this time. They try it again. This had me flashing back to McMahon's millions when McMahon himself actually couldn't dial the telephone. As I've said before, dialing a telephone on live TV or live radio is the most difficult thing apparently you can do. Sonny, this time, is actually near the casket full of money counting those single-dollar bills and a sign of things to come in the life of Tammy Lynn Sitch. The call still can't be completed, so Sonny just has to stand around and fan herself with money. 
Finally, they decide to go with a different guy. They call Patrick in Indiana. He picks up the phone. He gets to go to SummerSlam and has a shot at $1 million. Vince asks Patrick, hey, man, are you watching the show? And yeah, Patrick says Shamrock will win the arm wrestling contest. Well, we'll find out about that. Bulldog comes out for the arm wrestling match. They put the table in the ring. They lock arms. Shamrock, though, doesn't understand the rules of an arm wrestling match and uses his left arm on the table. Hands off the table, boys. I guess Ken Shamrock hasn't been in an arm wrestling match before. Bulldog almost gets Ken's arm down, but Shamrock battles back. Earl stands behind them and uses his hands in the air in a wave-like motion to show you who's got the lead and who is winning the match. Bulldog, though, after Ken starts battling back, just says, fuck it, headbutts Ken Shamrock in the head, then hits him with a chair to the head, three to the back, and then one more chair shot to the head for good measure. And then, as he mentioned earlier, he actually dumps a can of dog food because he's the British Bulldog into Ken Shamrock's mouth. And that is the lead to their match at SummerSlam. Vince reminds us about the Raw start time changing next week. Well, guess what? WCW Nitro was watching. Bischoff was watching. And they had a three-hour show the next week where Lex Luger won the WCW world title. And we've already reviewed that show, but this totally explains why they did that. Gold Dust music hits, and he's out with Marlena. And I always loved Gold Dust's entrance. JR wishes his daughter a happy birthday and says that his daughter is a huge Gold Dust fan, which I found to be kind of interesting. Gold Dust brings out a mannequin with a dress on it. He calls out Brian Pillman. He says next week on Raw, he's going to be wearing the mannequin's dress after SummerSlam. It's the loser has to wear a dress match, which has gladly been abandoned here in 2019 for the most part. Goldust drops the mic, handing it to Marlena, but Marlena picks it up, says Pillman doesn't really fill out his tights very well. He's got a small dick. And her hairdresser thinks that Pillman would look good in a dress. Then Rockabilly's music hits. Oh, here we go. Honky Tonk Man and Rockabilly are out next to challenge Goldust. It's AEW on WWF Raw here in 1997 with Dustin Rhodes and Billy Gunn. Goldust takes Billy Gunn out of the ring with a clothesline, and he's jawing with the IBF champion who gets slapped for his trouble. But the IBF champ then decks Rockabilly. No bell is called for this, apparently, of this fan assaulting a pro wrestler. The bell does get called, however, when Brian Pillman attacks Goldust from the back and gives him a very gentle DDT. And then Pillman takes the mannequin, has it make out with Goldust, and then stuffs the dress in Goldust's mouth before Marlena tries to stop him. The Stooges run in and break it all up. Jerry the King Lawler rightly says the IBF champ should be arrested for this, and he's right. Stridex presents SummerSlam 1997. We're reminded that, yes, you wrestling fans are pimply fucks. Enjoy Stridex, which, by the way, I think is a fine product, and I still use to this day, even though I don't have much acne, but it helps clean my face. I like them. Then we get an Undertaker retrospective voiced by JR. They use clips of Brett talking about Undertaker. Then tons of Undertaker clips dating back to the early 90s. They even get Shawn Michaels to chime in about it. This was a very nicely produced piece, something that they rarely do these days on their weekly television. 
So uh, quite a good promo for the main event of their pay-per-view on this go-home show. It was hilarious, though, watching Sean talk nicely about Taker, considering how they didn't get along backstage. They were in different factions, of course, so they did not like each other too much. No one really liked uh, Shawn Michaels in 1997, so just weird to see him trying to talk nicely about one of his coworkers. While his image remains cloaked in mystery, since WrestleMania 13, the Undertaker's title run has added to his phenomenal legacy. It's a big giant question mark that hovers over my uh, over my head when I think of the Undertaker because he does some pretty impressive stuff in there. Very coordinated, very agile for a big guy. Uh, he's not a guy that you can just out out. You know, he, he's very quick. He's uh, very strong. Scooped him up like a little baby. Cool hand, Luke. You know, got everything taken care of. I have a big ego, but my ego never has a problem accepting what guys have that I don't. And, I, and, I, and I'm always impressed when someone has something that I don't. So I'm impressed by him. Sends him up for the ride, back body drop, he gets hurt! Oh, what a the Undertaker, what a Undertaker, he's a, he's a high flyer too. You know, he's 6'9", six, 6'10", six, six, but he can walk across the ropes, he can, he can do high-flying moves, high-flying clotheslines, high-flying tackles. Very hard guy to deal with. Uh, he's not like uh, Sid or Diesel or some of these other guys that are giants, but they can't. They lack the mobility. You're not going to get that with Undertaker. Then you're going to look at the Undertaker and you look at uh, how, how bad does he want it. Maybe he doesn't want it that bad. Wrong. The guy wants it so bad that you are in for a long fight, long night, any night. Any night, whether it's a small city, little town, big city, big town, 80,000 people, 20,000, it doesn't matter. This guy comes psyched up, focused all the time. Although his psyche was severely tested by the issues surrounding Kane and the antics of Paul Bear, The Undertaker's focus has remained unrelenting. Even when there are rifts in his life, he still handles them. Uh, to me, he's probably the most centered uh, and grounded guy we have. That is a sentiment painfully understood by all would-be challenges to the title and one the Phenom personally prides himself on. Whether people like me or they didn't like me or they agreed with my views or, or not, that I stood up for what I believed in. You know, if I don't have the proper edge and if I don't have the proper mindset, then it's time to step away. Observe what you're doing. Make sure that you are, that my soul and my spirit and everything is lined up because that, those are two very important things to me. That's what drives The Undertaker is his soul and his spirit. What has fueled The Undertaker has seemingly inspired Bret Hart as the two set to square off in the biggest showdown of the year. The, the old tagline, heart and soul, is about us. You know, it's, it's almost a perfect. We both pretty much dominated the WWF for the last seven, eight, nine years. Um, I think the fans want an answer. They want a clear answer. It's time to step up to the plate and find out who's the best. And if I was to somehow lose this match to The Undertaker, if somehow, if he beats me, he can pin my shoulders to the mat or tombstone me or whatever, make me cry uncle even, then uh, I would, uh, uh, if, if, if that was the case, then I would be willing to never wrestle or never set foot in the United States of America and put on my wrestling boots again. One man emerging from the dark side, another threatening to disappear. 
heart and soul is clearly becoming a crossroads match in World Wrestling Federation history. Then in this same promo, we get a rare Undertaker speaking as a human promo, just talking about the honor it is to face Bret Hart and what he's got to do to win. So a very, very good piece here. Probably the highlight of this entire show. Vince is in the ring to introduce Shawn Michaels. Shawn gets a good ovation. He does his entrance and he gets pyro. Shawn Michaels fashion watch for this edition of Retro Wrestling Podcast. He wore khaki shorts and a V-neck tee, but he did have loafers on, so he kind of looked like a retiree. Shawn says he never apologizes for anything, and he says he's doing color commentary for the main event coming up next. After he says this, Brett is seen backstage throwing shit and kicking boxes after hearing this devastating news that Sean would be doing color commentary. We cut to more fans telling Brett to go back to Canada and that Pittsburgh is the great greatest place on earth. And if Canada is so great, why does Mario Lemieux play in Pittsburgh? Brett is out surrounded by security goons for his match with his Canadian flag. Brett points a finger at Sean before he gets in the ring. Sean says as he's pointing the finger that he must just be expressing his love for Sean Michaels. Brett then asks that the Canadian national anthem be played. They play it, and Sean mockingly stands with his hand over his heart during the Canadian national anthem. The Patriot is out next to the theme song we would most associate with Kurt Angle. And then Del Wilkes, the Patriot, wants his national anthem, the U.S. national anthem, played. He gets it played, but about halfway through, Brett says enough of this shit and starts beating him while the anthem continues to play, which watching Brett beat the shit out of him with the anthem playing was a phenomenal touch, by the way. Hilarious. USA chance as the Patriot gets stomped. USA Network is going to give the WWF more time because they're just such... Swell guys at the USA Network, so they're going to get a finish to the match. Patriot lands a nice shoulder tackle off the buckle for a near fall. They go to commercial, and Bret Hart is back in control. Hits a backbreaker on the Patriot. During the break, Bret had Patriot in a turnbuckle figure four. Sean brushes aside the threat from Gorilla Monsoon that he'll be sent home if he doesn't call the SummerSlam main event down the middle. He says, would you really want a WWF without Shawn Michaels? So... Sean cares nothing about this stipulation. Brett lands his second rope elbow to the Patriot. The ref takes a bump. Earl Hebner, that is, takes a bump. As Brett used the buckles to escape a full Nelson attempt from Del Wilkes. Brett hits a pile driver to Patriot, but nobody can count. Brett tries to wake Earl up, but Earl is down and out. Sean runs in, grabs Brett's leg, which pisses Brett off, and allows Patriot to inside cradle Brett Hitman Hart and steal the win. So, my apologies, there were three actual finishes, two matches on this show, but they were all sort of bullshit finishes, matches, and everything. Despite beating Bret Hart, Patriot would not be getting into the main event of SummerSlam 1997. Sean then mocks Bret after the match, but the goons keep them apart until The Undertaker's gong hits, and folks, we're out of time. We'll see you next week. So my thoughts on this episode of Raw, the go-home show into SummerSlam 1997. Wrestling-wise, it was not a good show. Not a good show at all. If you wanted a good wrestling show where wrestling matches are what you like about wrestling, 
you would definitely would have wanted to watch WCW Monday Nitro. There's no mistaking that. There is just, these matches were awful. Even the main event between Bret Hart and Patriot, Bret Hart can work miracles, but not with Del Wilkes, unfortunately. So all the matches were were very, very stupid. But in terms of a go-home show, it did everything that you actually need to do in a go-home show, and that is establish the matches that you are having on Sunday give you a reason to want to see them. And if that involves nothing but run-ins, DQs, and promos, then that's what it takes. Because so often, even now, with five hours of weekly WWE main event programming, a lot of times the go-home show before their pay-per-view, some of these feuds aren't even mentioned. And another thing I liked about this episode of Raw was that the feuds coexisted. They didn't exist in their own bubble, okay? So the LOD has a problem with the Godwins, but the Los Bariquas have a problem with DOA. Austin and Dude Love have a problem with the Heart Foundation. Uh, Mankind has a problem with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Everything, you've got Dude Love working double duty here in both of his identities. It's Everything is sort of intertwined, interconnected, but it made you understand the feuds heading into the pay-per-view and even though you didn't get very good match quality you at least know what's going to happen Sunday who's fighting who why they're fighting they each had their moments where they each shined and that was pretty much it I thought that in the arm wrestling match I thought Shamrock looked like a complete fool Uh, that was probably the only disservice they did to any of the guys involved in these matches because In most instances, they gave the heels the upper hand at the end of the matches, but Shamrock was sitting at the table, and he can't see a headbutt coming. This guy's a UFC fighter, so I really disliked that. But outside of that, I thought that, you know, establishing the card was achieved. I know what's happening at SummerSlam 1997, and that promo package they aired about the main event was spectacular. That is something that... The WWE definitely needs more of, regardless of whether they can get to every match on their card and reminding you of why they're happening. If they can promote the main event, the main event is what sells the pay-per-view. The rest of the matches are sort of just bonuses for buying the pay-per-view to see the main event. So on my rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, I'm going to give this one a Brian Pillman, sort of a middle of the road, because match quality, like I said, I would skip it for match quality, but there was some highlights, and if you wanted to know what was going on heading into SummerSlam 97, as a companion piece to SummerSlam 97, you can watch this in an hour and 40 minutes and be totally caught up. Now, one thing that does hurt the company at this time was the gang warfare stuff. Way overplayed. Everybody is a lackey. Even if you have talented guys... Turns out that they're in a faction. They're usually the lackey of the star of the faction. So you can't build new stars. And at the top of the card, you're very limited. You you think Shawn Michaels isn't cleared to return to action, even though he's teased it. I mean, he did he did a moonsault at WrestleMania to let you know that he's fine. He's going to come back soon, but he hasn't yet come back. So really, at the top of the card, you have... You're basically your top babyface, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who they're saving that for WrestleMania. And then you have Undertaker, who's the champion. And that's pretty much it. You're pretty light on the babyface side where you have a great heel, a killer heel, and Bret Hart 
You're also pretty light on the heel side. Honestly, you're light everywhere. WCW had a massive payroll and a massive roster. The way to counter that is not to stick everybody in factions because when you're in a faction, you can't shine as a single star. And that was going to really hold back a lot of these guys, especially guys in the Los Bariquas, for instance. Some of those guys could be incredible wrestlers, but we'll never know because they were stuck into a faction led by Savio Vega. And the same goes for DOA, the Harris Brothers, Crush, uh, those guys could have possibly been stars, and the Harris brothers as a tag team did get a decent run. I mean, all these guys had careers that extended past this, but I just think that they're really holding themselves back, shooting themselves in the foot because, okay, you're going to be a part of the Truth Commission, you're going to be in Los Periquas, you're in the nation. You even had a guy like Ahmed Johnson who... A year or two ago was a very push star. Now he's just Farouk's lackey in the nation of domination. And also, a star on the rise, The Rock, not even on this card. I know the babyface run was was failing, but not even having him on Raw, not even trying to figure something out, he would eventually get into the nation and that would change everything. But again, you've got to work on building single stars. You've got to, to work on building the future. And which they ended up eventually doing a decent job of, where you had guys like Val Venus even become big stars, even though they were mid-carters. But it felt very light. The roster felt very light. But the feuds were established. The matches were established. I know what's going on. That's the purpose of a go-home show. And in that regard, this episode of Raw is War did that perfectly. We will return next week with our review of SummerSlam from 1992, the British Bulldog taking on Bret the Hitman Hart in Wembley Stadium for the Intercontinental title. Until then, check us out, RetroWrestlingPodcast.com, and always go to Powerslam.tv, use the promo code RetroWrestling, and you will get a month for free with their 6,000 hours of content all at your disposal and a month on us courtesy of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next week. This is Intern Alex saying bingo, bango.